Flying cars have been part of science fiction fantasy for nearly a century, but now fantasy is turning into reality, and the auto industry is starting to explore how it can play a role in what could be a brand new market. Flying cars could be less than a decade away. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, Audit, Tax and Consulting for the Middle Market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, with this move to autonomous cars, mobility services, I have a lot of people ask me, when are we going to have flying cars? When is it going to be like the Jetsons? And I tell them, just wait, it's just around the corner. And they all laugh because they think I'm joking. I'm not joking. It is coming. And we're going to be talking about that on today's show because my special guests include Bill Foy. He's the Senior Vice President of North American Engineering for the supplier Denso. Bill, great having you on the show. I can't wait to hear you talking about this. Yeah, it's great to be here, John. And John Riminelli, he's the founder and CEO of a company called ASX, which stands for? Aerospace Experience Technologies. All right, John, great to have you back. We had you here a couple of years ago, but progress is moving forward. How do you assess it? You know, when you were here a couple of years ago, nobody was talking about flying cars or let's call them passenger drones or VTOLs, vertical takeoff or landing craft. So, so the, uh, the, the people in the business like to refer to them as electric VTOL aircraft or electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And um, it is uh, certainly taken off, pun intended, uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, certainly it has helped when you've got major uh, transportation players such as Uber uh, out there sort of you know, marketing and planning this future for on-demand uh, point-to-point air mobility. And... Um, so it's been really exciting, and it helps us validate our business case because we're no longer just one of a few crackpots in the business that are actually working on it. Bill, I'm, I'm intrigued that an automotive supplier is looking at playing in this space. Mm. What are you doing and why? Yeah. Well, let me, ask, let me answer the why first. So uh, Denso is a company that looks to contribute to society as a whole. And about three years ago, we expanded our vision into a greater mobility space. So not just 2D, but now going 3D. And we did it for a few reasons. We look on the ground for safety, and if you have less cars on the ground, it's going to be more safe. But then when we started to look at urban air mobility, there were so many synergies. There were so many synergies between the automotive industry and this new space. And we felt that this is a great opportunity for us to begin to move into it. So as we started to look, um, we recognize it's probably something we can't do on our own. So we partnered with Honeywell, and we're currently doing a complete investigation to electrify it. So the E that, that John talked about, we're moving into that space first right now, and it's exciting. 
John, this plays right into what, when you were on the show a couple of years ago, you were the one preaching that there's a lot of automotive technology mm -hmm. that would be perfect for yeah. this. Uh, so you must love what Bill is saying. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually very excited when I read the news. Uh, I, I know the folks at Honeywell very well, and they've got great technology there. Um, I was always sort of uh, looking forward to more sort of mature industry joint ventures, such as the mm -hmm. one that they've put together that can sort of merge the two disciplines. Uh, when you really sort of deep dive um, the requirements of an electric VTOL aircraft uh, and the requirements for an electric vehicle, what you find is that there is a you know a, an existing ecosystem that has uh, a supply chain that has a lot of capability that really matches the requirements that we really need in, on the eVTOL side uh, mm -hmm. for air mobility. So when, when you think about the environmental requirements and the uh, uh, those are really parallel what's already happening on the ground. Bill, what opportunities do you see for Denso in this? Yeah, so first we're looking at the electrified area, um, but when you look at the whole cabin experience, so how you heat it, how you cool it, what people do in it, um, there's everything that we do in cabin in a vehicle is going to be available in, in this uh, urban air mobility space as well. So it's it's it's, uh, it's, it's a great synergy for us um, that it allows us to be able to, to move into this area. But it's also what we're going to learn because as we start thinking about autonomous drive vehicles and going 500,000, a million miles, that's what uh, we have to be able to take from the aerospace industry. So how do we do maintenance and repair? What does that look like? What's that new business model going to be? So it's really back and forth for us, so many learning opportunities. When the both of you talk about electric VTOLs, you're not talking about battery powered, are you? Well, I would say that uh, you know batteries are, are certainly uh, one approach. Uh, you certainly could you know run them like a uh, sort of like a freight train, and, and you could have sort of a, a turbo generator that generates energy that you know powers up your electric motors. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one approach. Um, it's not the emission-free approach. Uh, but yes, electric uh, yeah, lithium polymer batteries, um, you know, having hybrid configurations of that, but uh, yeah. What yeah I think, well, I think one of the things you need is quiet, yeah. right? So you're flying over cities, typically, in these types of environments. So you need quiet, you need reliable, you need safe, and, and quiet is where the electric comes in. So when we look longer term, we think electric is a big part of it. Longer term, I know, but a lot of the examples I see of these vehicles right now is hybrid electric. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not trying to just do it with batteries alone. They, they've got some onboard power source that provides electricity to keep this thing aloft and give it greater range. Is, is that what we're going to see short term and then maybe go to a full battery electric at some point? Oh, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, I mean, just like automotive, what we're seeing, right, from ICE to hybrid to full electric at some point. Mm -hmm. We see it being the same, and of course, there's this cost curve of technology. So as we talk about in the auto automotive industry and looking at what is that, 2025 or 2027, when we can break that cost opportunity to be make it affordable, it's going to be the same, I believe. So one of the biggest challenges with electrification uh, of aircraft is, you know, energy density. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, currently, I, I would say that you know we're looking at about 200 to 250 watt hours per kilogram in, in energy density, and um, 
really needs to be at least 300. Uh, you see, I've seen a few companies out there modeling 700 watt hours per kilograms. I, I you know, they don't know where they're going to get those batteries from, but they don't exist. So, having range extension capability, whether it be a uh, an internal combustion engine that turns a generator, or it's a fuel cell, um, or it's um, you know a direct uh, you know turbine generator slash you know type model. You got to come up with a way to justify the investment and the expense that goes into you know building and certifying an aircraft. And the energy density currently available today just it it's not really doing it for me, right? Uh, we really need to have a hybrid approach. Uh, we do have a hybrid, uh, a purely electric version that we're we're going to be flying and testing. Uh, I'm just not so sure that's going to be the first vehicle that we come out with. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is to see uh, Daimler, the parent company of Mercedes-Benz, bought a uh, passenger drone company called Volocopter. Mm -hmm. uh, Audi and Aston Martin have shown design studies mm -hmm. uh, going along that way. And of course, the aerospace companies, Airbus, uh, Boeing, Bell are, are all in it. How do you guys think this is going to shake out? Is, are we going to see more joint ventures, more cooperation between the aerospace industry and automotive? Or how do you think that'll roll out, Bill? I think you have a huge interest from both sides. And so from the automotive industry, you see a lot of players like that. And there's more than that that are interested in this area. Because I think they've all expanded their vision into mobility as a whole. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, it's going to be in the air, on the ground, on the sea, various types of, of ground transportation, they're interested in every aspect of this. And when we look at urban air mobility, I think the interest is really about speed, right? I mean, when you can do something in eight minutes that might take you an hour and a half in traffic, uh, that becomes very interesting and it becomes a competitive space for, for ground. So I think any of the companies that are really interested in true mobility are going to follow this, this, uh, this idea and this, this uh, industry. Yeah, agree with that. So, um, so having been, you know, working and developing uh, this aircraft solution over the last few years, what I found is that you've got uh, traditional aircraft companies who say, "Man, this is certainly the future," but we don't have uh, sort of the capacity to run at the rates that you know the industry sort of projecting demand will 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 yield. Mm -hmm. um, and you have the automotive OEMs that certainly I believe I've heard at the, the top one or two objectives is to uh, invest in and develop an urban air mobility solution. The problem is, is that, you know, do they want to risk their current business models by developing those in-house? Or do they invest in an outside organization and contribute you know, intellectual property, uh, know-how, uh, maybe even industrial capacity and expertise. So one of the things that I'm working on right now is um, actually creating a vehicle for traditional automotive and traditional aerospace companies to contribute intellectual property and know-how capital towards building an all-new factory that can produce uh, these aircraft systems very much like we produce cars today. Uh, very lean, very flexible. Uh, because there's just a huge interest in bringing this, making this promise a reality that there's, uh, there really needs to be a facility that's really designed and like vertically integrated as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
to, uh, to produce these things at scale. So um, that is something that we're actively uh, working with some very, very large aerospace companies uh, on that at the moment. And uh, once we close those deals, we're going to be reaching out to our friends in automotive and saying, hey, we've de-risked this opportunity. Uh, here's a way for you to get in and participate without putting the rest of the organization and your business at risk. And, uh, and I, I feel like that's really, uh, um, you know, it's resonating with, uh, with both the aero and the automotive players. So that's what, that's what we see happening, I think conversions. That, I think it's really interesting because when we started working with Honeywell, we thought it was all about our technology and the reliability of our technology. The third element was just that, it's, it's our mass production capability. Yeah is they want to work with partners who are making a million units a year. Yeah. And not that urban air mobility can get to a million units a year quickly, but they can see the future and they need to have this mass production capability themselves. So what is the future then, Bill? I mean, how big could this become and when are we going to start seeing these things fly around? I'd love to know that too, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, we think it's going to be significant. And, of course, there's some hurdles to get over. There's some technology hurdles that uh, John talked about a little bit to get to pure electrification. And there's regulation hurdles overall. And then there's finally consumer acceptance hurdles to get there. But I think once you can get over those three areas, and, and maybe there's a few more, but at least those three, we think that it is a huge industry, and not just in North America, but globally. Yeah, yeah well, the, uh, the problem of congestion is not... It is a global problem, you know, and as you, you look at, I think the UN indicated that, uh, you know, two-thirds of the world's populations are going to be living in urban centers. And there's one thing that's certain is that they're not making any more real estate, right? Mm. So there really isn't any more room for cars. So we really need to look at ways to elevate traffic. Like Bill was saying, go 3D, not right. just 2D. So, so we're going to start to see demonstrations uh, that are already happening today. I mean, in Dubai, uh, they're, they're, you know, Volocopter's engaged. They've got a unique approach. Um, you know, like automotive, there's you know, the, the, the mobility concept. There's four corners of it, and there's cars and trucks that meet each corner of that. So you'll see a, a number of vehicles that are going to be produced and demonstrated. But I would say, you know, 2024, 2025 is when we start to see sort of more commercial opportunities to, to participate. Uh, up until then, we've got to do a lot of validation. It's really critical that you know we put a system together that is failure tolerant. Uh, on the ground, we can tolerate a failure because we can, for the most part, pull over. Um, in the air, we need to have a system that can tolerate a failure and go, okay, well, we do have a problem on engine number four, but we're going to keep going because it can tolerate that. So I think uh, 2024, 25 is when we'll really start to see it kick off, and um, and uh, you know we're just really looking forward to uh, to exercising our technology. And John, that's right around the corner. Yeah. That, that, that's not way down the road. 2024, 2025. That's that's the blink of an eye. It's not far away, and you know we hope that uh, you know we can continue to make progress. I think the main thing that we have to do is really de-risk it for the you know the mass traveling public. Uh, they're really worried. I mean, you, in the context of some of these issues with the 737, which uh, a lot of folks have been like, man, this is really going to impact. I'm like, I think in a good way, because what we're, gonna, we're not going to do is we're not going to get complacent. We're going to be very, very focused on, you know, 
redundancy, reliability, and making sure that we can get the job done. That's really the most important thing, is making sure we get it right. Because if we don't, it's just, um, it'll set the entire industry back. And, um, and we need solutions. Uh, it's not just some, you know, you know uh, this is a solution that is desperately needed for urban centers. Yeah, yeah we, we need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bill, I'm sure you see it the same way. And, and Gensel, of course, has a great reputation for quality and reliability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do, we do see it the same way. I'm, I'm interested when you say commercial, um, are you thinking moving of things or moving of people? I'm thinking moving of things, cargo. Uh, yeah. I think a few, a few entities uh, will be moving people. Uh, it depends. Uh, the regulatory uh, framework that exists today um, will allow for certain configurations to actually do the job of moving people without new standards. Uh, one of the latest, you know, the, you know, two examples of standards that need to be established are going to be, you know, reserve requirements on batteries and then the standards for you know validation and certification of electric motor mm -hmm. which at the end of the day is just a performance driven validation process right when does it break how often do you have to replace the bearing okay well if it breaks after 16,000 hours we'll certify you for eight but we'll start with four hmm. it really is just sort of establishing what the rules are and I think automotive can do a really great job of demonstrating how we validate high volume produced you know, components and systems, because we have to build the first one and the millionth one the very same way, and they have to perform the very same way. And that's something I think the automotive industry has done very well, and the aerospace industry is very excited to learn about. Mm -hmm. You know, how we do that, uh, that's not easy to do. Where does the U.S. stand in all this? I mean, I, I'm more familiar with what's going on here, but how do we stack up against the rest of the world in this technology? You know, let me answer it from, I went to the Uber Elevate conference, and what I really loved was to see um, the government involvement and the desire from the U.S. government yeah. to want to help to lead the U.S. to become the world leader in this area. Yeah. So they talked a lot about the regulations and how similar it is to drones, and a lot of the regulations can already exist and they can use those. But it was so interesting for me to see that our, that our U.S. government wants to collaborate with industry to bring this to market quickly. So for me, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so uh, I agree. Uh, the FAA has been really very, very friendly towards uh, developers. Uh, they are looking to build partnerships with industry to enable this because they do realize there's going to be a shift in productivity in the United States. If we can connect the nation's 15,000 airports with the surrounding communities and really move people and product faster, five times faster, for maybe the same price as a rideshare, uh, there are huge productivity gains. Um, how we stack up uh, in terms of other countries? Well, certainly um, the, uh, there's a lot of capability in Southeast Asia. Uh, and, you know, Europe and the automotive makers in Europe are certainly, I think, ahead of us. Uh, you know, Daimler's, as you mentioned, invested in Volo. You've got Audi. Uh, you've got uh, BMW actively looking. I know Porsche is actively looking. But there's, they already made investments. So I feel like the U.S. organizations are behind. And one of the things we look to do is uh, optimize a solution that they can participate in. We've seen an evolution, too, just in the last couple of years. Uh, 
the first passenger drones that I saw all kind of looked like helicopters with multiple rotors. Now it's more tilt wing with a pusher motor behind it. Well, mm -hmm. Bill, any, any ideas on how these things may actually end up looking? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, for us, in our uh, working with Honeywell, we have the opportunity to go talk to all the makers to understand what they're doing and where they're going. Because for us, we want to be able to create a uh, scalable design that can be used across for the majority of the designs. And um, John may know better what, the, what your competition's doing and what yeah. you're thinking, but we're, we're seeing some differences that exist. Um, but so different that you are not able to no, make a no. common module, or no, we, can you? We think so far about 90%. Wow. Yeah. From an architecture standpoint? Just from our, our, our size of our motor generator, the power density. Yeah. Power density of motors. And, uh, yeah. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah, there, there is certainly an opportunity to, uh, you know, develop and configure a modular propulsion system that could apply to a variety of configurations. Uh, there are three primary configurations today. Uh, one is a vertical takeoff and landing, strictly multi-copter type configuration. They're very, very inefficient aircraft. Uh, they sort of uh, parallel a helicopter. They have a liftover drag of about four to five. Okay, It means that they require a lot of energy to keep it aloft. So in order to improve that scenario, you have to add wings. You need a lifting surface. So now they have a config, it's, it's basically a, a two-phase configuration where you'll see propellers that lift it up to an altitude with a set of wings and then a pusher prop that pushes it. And um, it's more efficient. You're looking at a lift over drag of like eight, nine, right? So it's a little bit better, but it's, you got a stationary prop, they're very draggy. This is kind of like, my, I call these training wheels, right? And then there's the tilt wing, tilt rotor mm. configuration. We have a tilt wing which means it's a traditional looking fixed wing aircraft with a wing that tilts vertically. We take, take off vertically and then we transition into plane mode flight. Um, so there's really the three different types. Uh, the most efficient being tilt wing, tilt rotor. Uh, those are also the hardest to, uh, to certify and build. So um, I think we're gonna see a, a, a little bit of everything. It's Is just, that what you're seeing, Bill? Is a little bit of all those? We are. Yeah. I love the tilt wing, though. It's uh, it's it's so cool looking when you see that. Yeah. At least at least in videos. I haven't seen it live, but yeah. It's it's an efficient machine. Yeah. It, it does the job. It, it very much resembles a traditional aircraft. It's what people are used to seeing. Mm -hmm. Except the only thing that's different is the main wing tilts vertically. Yeah. So um, we decided not to, you know, try to pursue too many miracles. We looked back in time. We found. Well, what, what have they done in the 60s? They've pretty much invented everything in the 50s and 60s. And um, tilt wings were demonstrated to be viable, except the powertrains were, were the Achilles heel. They transmissioned engines, and that proved to be the failure modes that killed those programs. We don't have those problems with electrification. Of course, when I talk about these things, people always bring up uh, the V-22 Osprey, which is in the U.S. Mm -hmm. military, which at least early in its program mm -hmm. had a lot of issues, plane crashes yeah. and the like. I think Single points of failure. Yeah, but I, I think it's pretty reliable now, but you're saying you're doing something different than the V-22. So that's a tilt rotor, right? So you've got two massive, you know, propulsors that do the job of lifting the aircraft. Uh, those are really optimized for hover operations. But if you were to have a hydraulic failure or a fuel flow failure in either one of those motors, 
you would end up with you know, a catastrophe. One of the great things about distributed electric propulsion is, is we can actually distribute the load and distribute the job of lifting across a number of electric motors and propulsors. So if you have one or two go out, it can still complete the mission, right? So that's one of the, the, the real revolutions here is this distributed electrification, which really makes it safer, more reliable than aviation has ever been before. Bill, you mentioned that you went to the, the Uber Elevate uh, conference. That must be intriguing that, you know, here's Uber, uh, a company that provides rides, clearly looking to the skies as the next step. Yeah, and they have it all connected. So already they have all the data today to understand where people are going. So I think they have it figured out down to the point of where they're going to buy the property to put the pad already because they understand where, where those ideal points are. And just imagine that you just can get an Uber vehicle to pick you up at your house, take you to a pod, and then take you to wherever else and have another vehicle pick you up. And it's all coordinated. So just thinking about that, thinking about that future, it, it creates that whole speed idea and door to door is just a beautiful thing. And you're saying that maybe for the same price as an Uber ride today? I don't know about that. I think, I think my personal opinion is that in the beginning it's gonna be the premium type customers. And then as Uber gets the sharing part down and it's reliable and they get enough customers into it, then you're gonna see the cost come down where it's more affordable for the, the, the middle class type, type aspect. Mm -hmm. John, is that what I you agree. see too? So uh, I do. I think that it'll initially begin as a more of a premium service, more of a you know a luxury vehicle price point. Uh, the ecosystem, the supply chain for vehicle suppliers is small, right? So the ones I mean, you've seen the Bell Nexus. My you know the rumor is it's ten million dollars before they add their margin. Uh, very expensive machine. So I think that. Um, It'll start off uh, as, a, as a luxury uh, luxury price point, and then uh, as more vehicle providers get into the business and be able to bring down those costs, uh, there's no reason why that we could see you know equivalent price points as an Uber X or an Uber Black Ride. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch this develop. I, I know there's some pilot programs that are right around the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Uber in particular, I think they want to launch a, a pilot test in, in next the next fall. next fall. So about next a year October. from now, mm -hmm. it's going to be amazing watching it. So I want to thank you both for coming in. Bill Foy with Denso, Senior Vice President of uh, North American Engineering. John Riminelli, the founder and the CEO of ASX. Fascinating discussion. Thanks to the both of you. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.